There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned to this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us again. Reagan Ken is our guest this week, and if you or someone you know is stuck in their career, or if you're looking for expert help to become more empowered in the workplace, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned in for today's conversation. We're going to talk about relational courage, getting unstuck, and moving your career forward. Reagan Cannon is a former global executive, advancing from entry-level manager to executive by the time she was 33 years old. She's also the author of The Cure for Career Quicksand and an international leadership speaker and coach. Inspired by the challenge of helping women advance into senior leadership, she founded RC Consulting in 2016, which is dedicated to empowering women and equipping their allies. Reagan Cannon, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be here. No, thanks for your time today. So, Reagan, you made the move to your own firm because you were inspired to help other women advance to senior leadership. That had to take a lot of consideration and courage. Was it a difficult choice to leave your own corporate success behind to help others? Yeah, I mean, you don't step out of a 20-plus year career to start your own firm, you know, arguably at the peak of where I had been ascending to in corporate. But all along, I knew, if I'm being totally honest, even since I was 12 years old, I knew that I wanted to be a speaker and an author. And so it was just a matter of time of that marinating, seasoning, or aging like fine wine, getting those experiences that now I'm using in my own business. And I'm so glad that I put in that time and effort, those miles, that was those treads, uh, in order for me to get the stories, the experiences, the disappointments, the successes that I'm now able to share in my both speaking and coaching career. And you've observed that people who feel stuck in their jobs often change jobs to reignite their careers. But you also note that moving is not the right change to make. What is the smart move when we're stuck? Yeah, I think there's this instinct that if I just move like from my current role, it'll be better. But then I get them in my coaching practice and over and over again, they say, and then I did this job and I changed in this and I rotated here and I rotated there. And I kind of, I'm like, you notice there's a common denominator, right? You know, you are the one moving from job to job. Perhaps there's something deeper you need to explore. And so that's why in my book, I, ex- I create a framework where people can actually evaluate what is it that's holding them back in their career versus just moving from job to job. And so people who are moving to another job, instead of fixing themselves, are really just proof of the wherever you go, there you are saying? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. There are things, I mean, it's, it's double-edged. You move and you bring your baggage with you, right? We show up with like, some of us have Louis Vuitton baggage, some of us Toomey, some of us just, you know, Costco, whatever we need. They, we show up with our baggage no matter where we go. The positive flip side of way of looking at is you can actually make improvements in your life and career right where you are if you just take the right steps to evaluate that. And is there a top reason or two or three reasons why people get stuck in their careers? Yeah, I would say, you know, when I look at my framework, I introduce in my book, the Apple model, and that's really the five things you can look at. So I'll just highlight a couple that I find are most prevalent. One of the things is uh, the P and the Apple model is uh, around people. 
And I find that people have gone sideways in their relationships. Sometimes we become so myopic in performance, we forget that really what advancing is about is establishing relationships and using those uh, relationships wisely. Um, The A in the Apple model is A plus attitude. It's amazing how you can change the entire trajectory of your career just by modifying your attitude. And I share in that in my book an example of where I had a four hour a day commute in LA. Four hours, two hours each way. <laughs> and about week two, I realized I am I just signed up for this insane commute. It was 2006 when the markets were dropping. I couldn't sell my home and move. I was underwater on my house. And um, I decided I was going to have a positive attitude. And I said, I will never complain about my commute. And there were days I got stuck in traffic there. I learned to take the bus. I learned to get, I got my MBA riding on a bus. I said, well, I'm on a bus for four hours. Might as well get a degree and made the best of it. And I find that when people are stuck, sometimes just even that attitude shift makes a big difference. As someone who's been commuting to New York City for, well, longer than I want to admit, uh, from Connecticut, you know, not quite four hours, but three and a half. So I totally understand. Uh, and I respect you getting the, the degree on the bus. <laughs> and I guess maybe without taking advantage of having you here today and getting too much free advice. Uh, what about somebody who's in a job, they really enjoy their job, but they can't stand their boss? Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you do? Um, well, there's, there's a few different things about that. So, you know, all the research shows people don't leave a job, they leave a boss. And so having a good leader or bad leader makes a really big difference. What I have learned, um, one of my tricks to shift my attitude towards my boss is to practice empathy. Empathy doesn't, isn't like I woke up out of bed and I had empathy. I'm a driver. I'm a, I'm an achiever. So for me, it's, come on, like, let's get going. Why aren't you performing? Why aren't you giving me what I need? And let's get approvals and everything else. But part of what I started to do is realize we all are a collection of humans at this workplace. And that this boss acting the way they're acting probably stems from something in their own life. And can I practice any kind of empathy towards that person to just shift my thinking slightly? When I do that, I view my boss less as a threat and more as someone to have compassion towards And that sometimes frees up my thinking and creativity to interact with them differently and make it a little bit more manageable for me to work for them. You know, it's interesting, use the word empathy. And what I've seen post COVID is the two words guests most commonly use are empathy and grace. Mm. And so I just appreciate you saying that. (laughs) And does your advice about work relationships also apply to personal relationships? Absolutely. I think we, um, I know, especially for women, we're so relationally driven that there is, when there is poison in our relationships, it can often poison our whole lives. And so I think it's important that we're constantly doing an inventory of the health of our relationships and using courage, which I know we're going to get into later, but using courage to extend that forgiveness. I was just coaching a client this week and someone did something at her workplace a couple years ago. And she's still upset about it. And it's eating her alive. And I realized I had to encourage her to say, you got to forgive that person, you know, Um, use that empathy and forgive that person. Because in our personal and professional relationships, we're the ones carrying the baggage. We're the ones that whose back hurts and whose car is overloaded of baggage. We're the ones weighed down by it. And so doing that inventory frees you up. 
all too often people are just afraid to say what they really think. <laughs> is that true of most women in the workplace? And is that the product of upbringing, workplace pressures, pervasive fear, self-preservation? <laughs> Probably a little of all of the above, but I love Claire Shipman and Caddy Kay's book called The Confidence Code. They talk a lot about how little girls are raised and how we're raised differently than little boys. You know, like little boys, it's like boys will be boys, you know, that's just how they are. They're squirrels. They're, you know, that's expected. They don't sit still like that's it. But little girls, perfectionism starts at a very young age. And we are told, you know, sit still, mind your manners, act like a lady. Like there's no act like a gentleman. That's not even a phrase, but act like a lady is a phrase. And, you know, mommy needs you to be a big girl. You know, like that means like suck it up. Don't complain. And I think we learn and we're conditioned very early on to not complain, to not speak our mind, to not ruffle the feathers, to be seen, not heard. And we learn not to fail. And so we just start to guard ourselves early on, and that just continues right into the workplace. That's amazing. And to your point about starting at an early age, I never really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. And in terms of the perfection thing, the first thing that popped to my mind was the big, obviously the movie hit the summer of Barbie, and that's sort of like, that's the model we were supposed to be, or Cinderella, or something like that, and perfect, and yeah, so that's a lot of pressure. I never really thought about that. So speaking of pressure, you had your own experience of not being promoted, <laughs> the, which we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. The emotion and frustration of it hit you while, of all places, sitting in a traffic light. Yes. Why do you think it hit you right then and there, and what happened from there? Yeah, it had been the culmination of several years, almost eight years of trying to get promoted. And I think especially for women, um, but for all employees, you know, you get some momentum early on in your career. You know, you're those early ranks. You're promoted maybe pretty quickly because you stand out. You're a good leader. I had been leading people since I was 19. So I, I really thought, okay, I'm just going to stay on this trajectory of moving up every couple of years. And then you get into kind of mid and upper mid and senior leadership. It all slows down. So it was natural that it was going to take a cycle or two longer than I really wanted. But eight years that felt like quicksand for sure. The harder I moved, the more I got stuck. And so when I, um, I had just relocated from Southern California to Dallas, I was working for a company that was headquartered there. So I thought, okay, if I get to headquarters, if I take a chief of staff job, which I am not a behind the scenes detail, you know, person. And yet I was a chief of staff because that was the, that was the rule. That was the checkbox to get promoted. And I just think I remember driving and I was just just hands on the wheel. And I don't know why exactly it hit me right then, but um, I had been starting to be in conversations about promotion. And even with my initial interviews of getting promoted right in that time frame, I just wasn't getting promoted. And so I had just been told no to a promotion probably a week or so before and I just think the emotions hit me, it welled up. It was cumulative, like a lot of things. And that's when I pulled over to, into that in and out parking lot and really just had a moment with those French fries. You know, what am I gonna do differently? I've gotta do something differently. For those of you unfamiliar, in and out is a West Coast-based uh, burger chain and, and my family, we did spring break there, I think it's summer of 2018. And it was the top of their list of things to do in California. It's like we were doing, going to in and out so 
I do recommend it if you're out there. It's, it's <laughs> a thing to, to check the box off on the list. 100%. So to that point, what steps did you take to overcome being stuck in that position? Yeah, I decided that night I was going to do things differently. That be good mentality we talked about earlier, it had really infiltrated everything I did. I was filtering myself. I was holding back. I wasn't taking risks. I really found myself just confined. And I decided, what do I have to lose? Why don't I just go for it? And so the next interview I had happened to be with one of the you know, grizzly bear of all grizzly bear kind of executives that I was interviewing to be his chief of staff. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to just be honest with him. And I just said to him, listen, I'm not going to be a yes woman. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do uh, and just follow all the rules. I'm going to share my opinion. Now I'll do it respectfully when it's necessary behind closed doors, but I'm going to tell you how I feel. And if you don't want that, don't hire me. And he was ecstatic. He just, he lit up like, yes, that's exactly what I want. Cause he kind of growled when he talked, you know, and he, he, he really did. And Chris, he wanted that the next 18 months, we were iterative thought partners. That was his word. And he loved that. I pushed back on him and then I brought things to him and I, you know, it's kind of like the emperor wears no clothes. I was like, Hey, listen, you got no clothes on, you know, like, I'm like, this is not, you know, that you got to be aware of this, or this is how you're coming across, or this is what the organization is seeing or feeling. I became an invaluable asset to him because of my honesty, but that fought that be good mentality. And that was really the first time I clicked, it clicked for me. That's what's going to get me into executive leadership. And sure enough, he promoted me to associate vice president over 5,000 people by the end of that stint. That's amazing. That's amazing. So have you ever been stuck since then? And if so, did you take the same steps or did you need to take a different approach? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always find myself in a little bit, I, I'm the kind of person who always has an open mind to what's next and not being dissatisfied where I am, but trying to keep an open mind to what's next. I did have a situation where I did get stuck after that. There were some layoffs at the company and they froze everyone in their positions. And I got stuck there for a while and I was candidly quite exhausted. I'd been in the role almost three years, two and a half years at that point and had to get stuck there again. And so part of what I told myself was, um, this wasn't a time to go be bold. This was a time for me to say, to be a little selfish. What could I get out of this role? I've delivered at a high level. I've done execution. I've been here two and a half years. I've done what I need to do. It's time for me to rotate, but I can't. So what can I do right here and now? And that's when I was started. That's when I was really in the midst of writing my book. And I found something else to pour myself into and augment. And I think sometimes we lean so far into work. I know for me, being a professional, we might lean ourselves into work. And I said, well, what else can I do? I know I want to be a speaker and a coach one day. And that's when I decided to write my book. So sometimes you need to look at the job and sometimes you need to look outside the job and find those ways to get momentum back and be unstuck. Yeah, the few times we've spoken, you're always so positive and upbeat and forward looking and forward thinking. But being stuck a couple times, did it ever weigh on you mentally? Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I choose to have a positive attitude, but I'm an, I'm an ESTJ. ESTJs on the Myers-Briggs, just so everybody knows, the STJ are fatalistic thinkers. 
we think of the worst case scenario. <laughs> and so I can definitely find myself going negative, you know, finding myself complaining, finding myself in that zone. What I found over the years is that doesn't serve me to stay there. What is it from there that I can pour into fuel to go forward instead of being stuck where I am? I just found that dwelling in that moment, it just, it just after a while, it does not serve you. <laughs> it's just tiring and kind of, you know, pick yourself up and move forward. Well, yeah. And I think too, there's like a lot of time I've been in leadership positions almost my entire career. Very rarely have I been an individual contributor. And where, how does it serve your team to say, you know what, this just sucks and like whatever. It's okay to say, hey, this is a challenge. Let's be honest. Let's be candid. But what can we do? Like what do we have control over? What can we influence? What can we make a difference in right now to take one, even a baby step forward towards something positive? A moment ago you mentioned your book. In your book you talk about three kinds of employees when it comes to being stuck. Some, some people are stuck because they don't know which one they are. And this falls into a third category of people who don't want to move. Can you walk us through that, please? Absolutely. So I talk about three kinds of people. One is generalists. Or let me start with specialists. One of them is specialists. These are people who love what they do. They are in a domain. They love it. These are your HR professionals. These are your finance leaders, your legal. They love what they do. They are passionate about one lane. The positive of this is they love learning about, they geek out on their area. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a cyber expert and I love cyber, you know, and they, they want to go to conferences, they want to read articles, they want to get another degree in it. They love what they do. The downside of a specialist, you don't move up very quickly because you're basically in a very specialized area. So you're waiting for that person in front of you. We'll say not hit by a bus. We'll say wins the lottery. Uh, and then you can move up. So it's very slow progression up. The second group is generalists. Generalists don't want to go deep. They want to go wide. These are the people who love learning new industries, new areas. They try new things. They move around a lot. They, they're the friend who's relocated six times. Like these are the generalists, right? They move where the opportunity energy is. And they don't know a lot. They don't know deep about something. They know wide about a lot. And so the positive of a generalist is you move up quickly because you have a lot of opportunity and you're willing to seize opportunity. The downside is like the fifth time you move your children, they're kind of like, I'm over it, you know, or you're constantly in a learning curve. You know, those friends that are like, oh, I just started a new job. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm doing a lot. You're like that always. So you can be a little bit of like aware and tear on yourself and others. But at least you have lanes. Those two have lanes and have passions. The third category of people are what I call inflexibles. These are people that they don't want to move around. They shouldn't have to change roles. They shouldn't have to relocate, but they want to move up quickly. And so they end up getting stuck. And that's where I was. I was an inflexible. I was like, I am not leaving LA. I am not going to Texas where the headquarters are. I don't, I don't wear a cowboy hat. I don't wear cowboy boots. I don't say y'all. I don't like country music. Like I can't survive in Texas. So I just had this preconceived notion um, that I could not, I would not and could not go there. And I didn't think it was fair. I'm a high performer. I should be promoted in LA. Never mind the whole company needs me to move to Texas, but I shouldn't have to. They say things like, I, why me? That's not fair. I shouldn't have to. That doesn't, shouldn't apply to me. I have X, Y, Z, so it shouldn't. And really an inflexible is just miserable because they really, they don't have career movement, 
nor are they willing to do anything to get themselves unstuck. They're not happy going deep. They're not happy going wide. They just want it all to come to them. And I think if you're stuck as an inflexible, you're going to be in quicksand. You're going to be miserable. I know I was. And there are times that our own performance and shortcomings might be holding us back. What should we be focused on to ensure performance is not holding us back? Yeah, I think sometimes we think, you know, I I like to use kind of the three R model uh, when I'm talking about what it takes to be to get promoted. And the first is results. You that's table stakes. You have to be a high performer. If you're not one of the high performers and sometimes I'll run into especially more junior employees and they'll say to me, but I'm meeting all my goals. And I said, you know, promotion is a numbers game, right? There's one person over 10 people. That means only 10% can get promoted. Are you in the top 10%? Just because you're checking the box and have results does not mean you're exceeding the results. And so I encourage them, step out of yourself, ask around, understand how you are compared to others. The, the second R is reputation. Just because you have good results doesn't mean you're getting them the right way. What is your reputation? How do you show up? Are you that person who's negative Nancy? Oh, I keep it real, Reagan. No, you're just being negative. Like that's not keeping it real. Keeping it real means you come with solutions and and suggestions, not just negativity. And your reputation will stop you from being promoted. And then the last is relationships. A lot of times I will say to people, this is, you know, when they talk about exposure, you know, some people just want to stay in their lane with the people they know, with what they do. And they're wondering why they're in quicksand. And you can be, it's like that tree falling in a forest doesn't make a noise. Like a high performer under a rock that's not really, you know, can network to anyone that nobody knows, that doesn't help. So people will say, well, I know this person and I know that person. And I'll say, but who knows you? What have you done to network and make your, your items known? For women, we're the worst at telling people what we do and how great we are and what we've achieved. But it's an essential skill to build those relationships and have the exposure. So that's what I kind of, those are the three areas I try to have people kind of grade their performance to see if they're, if they're stuck for a reason. Almost everybody hates to make mistakes. Should we hate mistakes at work or is there value in them? Mistakes are the best tutors we have, but we have to let them teach us. And one of the things I find, particularly for high performing individuals and particularly women, we like to should on ourselves. We should, should, should. I should have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done that. We beat ourselves up all night long. Don't sleep. Re, you know, regret, 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 all this kind of stuff. And that doesn't serve you. So what I say is every mistake matters. That's the E in the Apple model in my book. Every mistake matters. And so what can you learn? So you need to make time for reflection. When you make a mistake, you grab that thing and say, I want ROI on you. I want return on investment. What are you going to teach me? What am I going to learn from this? And what can I reinvest in my career, my life going forward? Because if we just let mistakes be what they are, then they're they're costly to us. So what are you going to get on that return? Well, maybe as a follow-up to that, are there right mistakes or smart mistakes to make? Absolutely. Innovation doesn't happen without risk. Great career moves, great innovation doesn't happen without risk. We do have to take risks. And risks and experiments mean that they may fail. They may not work. So if you take a thoughtful risk, you are planful, you're you're intentional, and you made the risk for the right reason, then if it's a mistake, 
then that's okay. At Amazon, you know, I remember Jeff Bezos put out a letter when I was there that said, we should be making mistakes the size of Amazon. That means billion dollar mistakes. And he encouraged us to have a failure culture that said, failure is not bad unless you don't learn from it. And so there are times you do have to take risks and you will make mistakes, but it's worth it. Before we end the commercial, where can people find you and your book? So if you go to reagancannon.com, that has all my information about my coaching, my speaking, and my book. And I'd be happy to meet you there. It's got my TED Talk, The Real Reason Women Aren't Promoted. I also have a link to that there as well. We've been talking to Reagan Cannon, and we'll be right back after a short break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And my guest today is Reagan Cannon. Reagan is a former global executive at Amazon and AT&T and the author of The Cure for Career Quicksand. She's also an international leadership speaker and coach with proven tactics and insights from her more than 20 years of experience at Fortune 15 companies, again, including Amazon and AT&T. Inspired by the challenge of helping women advance into senior leadership, she founded RC Consulting in 2016. Reagan, let's talk specifically about women in the workplace. You conducted nationwide research on the reasons women aren't promoted to the degree they should be. What did that research find? So I started out with, I hired a professional researcher, Susan Mott, she was amazing. We interviewed all these executives and just asked over and over again, why aren't women being promoted? These were senior leaders that have the ability to put women into senior roles. And so they would know better than anyone. And so we asked them over and over again, what is it? And what became super clear to me was not performance, it was not education. It was not experience. It was how we showed up in our relationships at work. How we interacted with our boss, our peers, and our team was slowing us down. That be good mentality we talked about before the break, 
that was showing up in our relationships at work and slowing us down from getting promoted. 48% of frontline managers are women, while only 26% of C-suite executives are women. That's a huge gap. Did the male executives that you surveyed see anything wrong with that? And did they offer any tangible solutions to help narrow that gap? Yeah, what was interesting was we had, uh, that's from Women in the Workplace 2022. And I, the, the men I talked to, like most allies I find, they were very troubled by that. They want to see women advancing. You know, there's some bad apples out there who are like, I don't get all this and, you know, whatever. But most men I talked to said, I'd want my daughter to be promoted. I'd want my niece to be promoted. I'd want my cousin to be promoted, my, you know, whoever, my aunt, my mom, I want all, all women around me to be empowered, to be unleashed, to have unlimited opportunity. And so what was great is I chatted with several of them about what was it that allies can do? What can they do to help advance women? And one of them offered a really interesting technique. My, um, a friend of mine who was a software director that I worked with, he said, you know, in, in, software direct, in software management and some of the project management, we use a red, yellow, green framework. And I found that when I went to go ask women, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? They would often say, nothing, I'm good, everything's great. You know, and then like right before a project would be due, they'd be like, oh my gosh, and everything's falling apart. And he'd be like, why didn't you tell me earlier? I asked if I could help. Well, when you're asking, especially as a man asking a woman, what can I do to help you? It's kind of like we talked about the Barbie, you're the damsel in distress. Let me put on my cape and swoop in and help you. And we have all this you know, all this be good mentality of you better have it all together. You better be perfect. So we don't want to ask for help. So he said, well, let me use this red, yellow, green framework. He started asking his employees, especially his female employees, is the project red, like dead stopped in the water? Is it yellow? Like there's some risks and or is it green full steam ahead? And what he found is oftentimes when he asked it that way, women would say, you know, there are some risks. He'd say, great. What are those risks? And then they would say, well, here's what's coming. And I guess I'd rate the project yellow. And then rather than saying, well, then what can I do to help you? He'd say, well, how do we turn it green? We, shoulder to shoulder, we're working on this together. How do we turn this green? And that way, it was his way of offering help without making a woman feel like back against the wall, you're here to help me. And I, those kinds of tips are what I talk about in a lot of my training for allies. And it's just little things, little shifts in language that help someone not trigger that be good mentality. And why do companies identify and invest in high potential female talent only to pass them over for promotions time after time after time? Oh, there's no more annoying phrase for women than she's not ready. You're not ready. And my biggest pet peeve is when people say, well, she just needs more time. Like time is some sort of magic salt shaker. Like I'm just gonna sprinkle in some more time and then like magically they're gonna get better. What the research shows is women constantly get less feedback than men. And what we need is the feedback to improve. We have to know the feedback to improve. And I get it, it's tricky for men. They, they wanna be supportive. They don't wanna you know, be put in a precarious situation where they feel like they're being mean or they're putting a woman down. But I think talking about, you know, lean into questions. What do you think you can be doing better? What are the areas that you can improve? What are the areas you want to work on? 
Where do you see yourself and have an opportunity to affirm and give confidence to the things that a woman is doing well because she'll often undersell herself and then partner on the areas where they can improve. Women need that because there's nothing worse than being told, Reagan, you are a super high performer. You're a rock star, but you're just not ready. And so giving that tangible feedback, that's not time-based, some sort of magical time, but it's actually behavior changes that she can do to be ready the next time. Well, to that point about to be ready, are there specific barriers that women face when it comes to career advancements and, you know, quote, being ready? Yeah, I think that for women, we tend to lean into performance. Like if I just, Chris, if I just do everything right, they'll notice me and I'll get promoted. That is not how it works, especially when you get to senior leadership. We talked about the three R's, your reputation and relationships is in addition to results. You can't just rely on results. And women, that is a barrier women face. They, and that's why they get so disillusioned and frustrated because we often will kill ourselves to be perfect, to do extra work. Look, I'm going to prove to them I'm really great. I'm going to do the extra mile. But we do it in a vacuum. We don't spend time. One, one very tangible example women will show up to a meeting right on time and leave right when it ends. Why? Because we're busy, busy, busy. Got to get to the next thing. Got to perform. Men will come early and they'll stay behind. They'll have those natural connections. And when it comes time for promotion, one person is known and one person is unknown. And so those are little things that as women, we get in our heads that become barriers for us because we haven't invested in those relationships. I'll often ask women, They'll say, I'm killing myself and performing, blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, how much time did you spend in the last week networking with other individuals so that you can get things done outside of just your own capacity? And they'll say, I haven't at all. And I'm like, okay, well, that is the difference. You've got to change that. And how should a company address gender bias and discrimination in promotion decisions? Is there a secret sauce, a magic formula? <laughs> I would just say... Um, I think it's important. I remember there was an HR professional that used to always start out every single session by having everyone in the, in the promotional panel. Cause I would always be on the, I was the senior person at Amazon customer service. I was in the senior leadership team and we would review all the final promotions and the HR person would hand us a, a page that would say recency bias. Did you just interact with this person or haven't interacted with them in a while? So you kind of, you're not quite sure, proximity bias. Is this person in the US and the person we're talking about promoting is in Europe? Do you have a proximity bias to the person that's closest to you? Those level of biases, just even reading them one more time, old tapes, you know, someone would say, well, three years ago, you know, this, this person, this woman, you know, she didn't show up well in that meeting. Three years ago, three years ago. Like in corporate America, that's like dog years. That's like 25 years ago, you know? So what old tape is playing you need to let go of? So those, I think just reading a list of biases before you get started. So everyone has that awareness. Cause like I said, I rarely run into people who say, you know what? I want to have a lot of bias in the way I promote people. You know, nobody says that most people say, I want to do this fair and I want to come to the table. So that's, that's an easy way to check yourself. A few moments ago, you talked about women looking for uh, focusing on performance. And if I just do everything really well, they'll, they'll notice me. Why are men graded on potential and women are graded on performance? You know, I think um, a lot of times it's just easier to see the potential in people who are like you. 
that's not a bad thing. I mean, you, you, it's just easier to see, you know, they went to the same schools as you, they might've had the same activities as you. There's just natural connections. And that's, that's just human nature. It's not someone being evil. It's just human nature. And so I think when something is more familiar, it's easy for you to kind of extrapolate out what could be. And so what I want to encourage uh, my male colleagues out here that I know are want to be advocates is, you know, when it's when particularly when it comes to, to women and people of color, they may not have the same as my friend Nikki says, come from as you. They may not be have the same background as you. And so you may have to work a little bit harder to say, maybe I don't understand the full potential. Maybe I could ask one of my female colleagues what do you think about her potential? What do you see as far as her potentials? Maybe someone with a different background or a different experience could help you open up your mind to see potential that just isn't natural because it isn't your experience. Is there a difference between what it takes for a woman to get promoted to middle management versus senior management? Absolutely. Middle management, you can get into middle management. So, you know, we talked about how women like to follow the rules and stay within the lines and do all the right things, right? Well, um, that works when you get all the way up into middle management because you're implementing someone else's plan. You're implementing someone else's strategy. You're implementing someone else's ideas. But when you get into senior leadership, you are the one who creates the ideas. You're the one who challenges the status quo. You're the one who creates the strategy. And so when you're in that position, it's that takes a lot of risk. There's like we talk about a risk means imperfect, could fail, could could swing for the fence and miss. And that is very hard for women. So while we may progress through frontline management and even up to middle management, sort of checking boxes, you know, getting the A, following the syllabus and getting the A, which we're great at. Once we switch into senior leadership, we have to demonstrate that we are willing to go out and have that thinking on an island that one person, you know, opinion that's different than the rest. We have to challenge, we have to bring a different perspective. We can't do it all ourselves. We can't take it over from our team. We have to lead through others. Those skills tend to be challenging for women. And sticking with the senior management uh, concept, what advice would you give to women who are nervous about advancing to executive levels due to work-life balance? Yeah, work-life balance, so funny. Many of us in the industry, we're like cringe when we hear work-life balance because, I mean, it's really hard. First of all, why should work have equal with life? Life is more important than work. Why do we let what I do it? I let work take over my life. And so what I prefer is for us to inspect what I find with most women. I was just talking to my friend the other night. She's a pediatrician and she's balancing a lot of things. She's an author, pediatrician, tons of things. We we're just chatting about busy lives, busy schedules, and the mistakes women make. And that we, I find... It's not about work-life balance. I find that it's more about the talk tracks in our head than the to-do list on our calendar. Our talk tracks tell us we have to be perfect. So then we, we go way over and above what's needed. Our talk tracks tell us we have to do it. We have to have it all together. So we can't possibly ask for help. I mean, I have to like sew my children's Halloween costume, you know, like, no, you don't. You know, there's, but I'm a bad mom. I'm a non-Pinterest Instagrammable mom if I don't do that, right? And so we have, we put outrageous pressures on ourselves. And it's this lie that we fall into that we have to do it all ourselves. We have to be perfect, that we can't rock the boat or be challenged the status quo. Those things get in our head. 
and they show up on our calendar and they show up in the way we're exhausted because we're doing so much. So I think it's less a work-life balance and more like a belief audit that you have to do in order to say, which one of these crazy beliefs are making me do all this extra work and are screwing up my time with my family or my hobbies or my parents or, or my, you know, whatever I love doing. That's what's usually eating away. When you talk about not wanting to rock the boat, one of your points is that women should, quote, thoughtfully challenge their boss. <laughs> yes. What does a thoughtful challenge look and sound like? <laughs> well, there's a couple of things that I like to talk about on this. One of them is, as women, we tend to worry about saying the perfect thing, but I would tell you to obsess over asking the right question. A thoughtfully placed question disrupts a whole meeting. I used to have a boss who, he's very introverted, we would all be fighting and arguing and going back and forth. And he would just sit back, very patient. And then he would wait till the end and he would say, you know, I've just got one more question. And he would ask the mic drop question. It would, it would blow up the whole meeting. We'd be like, oh my gosh, why didn't we think of that? That's so insightful. I mean, he looked like a genius. And all he had to do was ask the right question. And I learned a lot from that, that great leaders ask great questions. And so rather than putting the pressure on yourself that I have to ask the right, I have to, I have to say the right thing and have all the facts and have all the data. And if I'm going to, you know, all these kinds of things and whatever, the, probably the thing you could invest the most in, if you want to challenge situations, especially as a woman, is asking thoughtful, really thought provoking questions. Well, and along that line, what should employers do to create a sense of purpose in employees? And if we don't feel like we have a sense of purpose in our job, what should we do? Yeah, I think that there is, um, there's a lot of times that we have a clear definition of what sense of purpose means. And, you know, I, for example, would get really into the numbers. And one of the things that I would do, I started to learn to do later in my career, is when I would go visit, I led huge call center organizations, 10,000 people, global executive, I would fly all around the world. And what I learned is I could make more impact really meaningful impact one hour in a room with the women in Japan or the women in Costa Rica or the women in Germany, I could sit down and just encouraging them, not driving numbers, not bringing revelatory ways and strategies that they could drag performance, but sharing open, honestly, and vulnerably with them what my challenges had been made an impact. And so sometimes the impact that we make is non-obvious. And it can be in other areas and we just have to look for it. And so there are times when we might feel like, you know, I, it, it was so funny, Chris, my, my husband was teaching junior high last year and he asked them, what's most important to you in your career? And they said, almost all of them because of this generation said, making a difference, making a difference. And he said, great, what do you want to do? And they said, you know, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to do those things. He said, how many of you want to be a teacher? not a single one of them raised their hand. And yet that's one of the most impactful jobs we have, right? So not every job has a obvious, meaningful impact like a teacher or, or someone who is a caregiver or something like that, but all of us have an ability to make an impact on a person, on the, on the group of people we work with. And so I would ask yourself, instead of saying, what can I do to make an impact? Say, who can I talk to to make an impact? And you might find that adds meaning to your day-to-day. -day. We've touched on relational courage. 
sometimes relational courage can be a matter of just simply changing a word or two in the way we approach our situations. And that's really underscored by a story that you tell about a colleague and the post-it note on her computer. Mm -hmm. Would you share that, please? Absolutely. So when, if, if relationships are the reason we're not getting promoted, what we have to practice is relational courage. And relational courage is this concept of moving forward in the face of our fears. And for women, changing how we interact with others, that is some of the scariest thing to ask us because that's against all that be good mentality that we've been conditioned and programmed. And so I, I had an employee who joined my team. She was a phenomenal employee on the cusp of getting promoted. She'd been with the company over 10 years and had tried over and over and over again to get promoted. And what I found when I dug underneath the surface was that it was her relationships. You know, she had an opportunity to uh, push back in meetings because she, she ran customer experience and product development and she just would sit back. Or she had an opportunity to solve something really big and partner with another department, but she was like, well, I need, I need to do what I can do within my own team. I need, I need to be able to solve it myself. And then with her team, oh my goodness, she would not let them send anything out unless she had absolutely triple checked, reviewed it, and actually like rewritten everything they did. And so what she found is that she got stuck in this trap of relationships and how she was managing them. So we had a conversation. She got passed over for promotion right when I got there. And she knew the next cycle was really important for her. And so we sat down and I gave her this feedback of what I was observing and seeing. And she created a post-it note that set, to put it right on her monitor. And she said, you know what? I'm going to use relational courage. And it said, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? So she showed up to that next meeting. And with that senior leader, she said, you know, actually, I'd like to bring up a concern that customers are bringing and I want to advocate. And he said, yes, thank you so much for pushing back. That's exactly what I needed. There was, she went to, uh, you know, something I've been sitting for a year on the shelf and she decided to finally like reach out to that vice president instead of saying, well, I'm not a VP. Should I really reach out? I don't want to bother him. She had the courage just to reach out and say, you know what, let's solve this problem. And they did. And with her team, she finally let them have ownership of the, over their own area. She empowered them and taught them what to do, then trusted them to get it done. And she was able to exponentially get way more done. She was able to work on much more strategic initiatives while they handled operations. All of that resulted in her finally getting promoted. And she took that post-it note and she crossed out worse. And she said, what's the best that can happen? And what she found is from there forward, she didn't want to live in a place of fear. She wanted to use relational courage to help her push forward, take those risks and interact differently. So for our listeners, you can't see this, but for our viewers, you can. I actually have that post-it note on my desk. It says, <laughs> what is the best that can happen? <laughs> awesome. So I've, I've taken that to heart as well. So I, I appreciate that story. Let's shift gears a little bit here as we go into the close of the show. For our listeners, explain what role of a leadership, career, or executive coach can play in their development. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I love being a coach. And I think it's it's important. Now, coaches aren't there to, you know, sometimes I'll get phone calls from organizations and they'll say, we need to bring you in. This person is like a terrible performer. That's not the right to, way to use a coach. You know, I'm not there. Think of a coach as an amplifier. They're there as an accelerator. 
They are there to help you uncover beliefs that are holding you back. And whether it's my female clients or my male clients, all of us have some sort of belief system that serves us and holds us back. And so part of my job is to ask questions, to bring awareness to what it is that might be holding you back. And because I was in corporate for so long and I've been an operator, I also bring frameworks, ideas, suggestions, resources into the conversation as well to equip you to do things differently when you leave. And when should we consider hiring our own leadership coach and how should we go about hiring the right one? You've got to surf and search for the right one. Every good coach will set up something called a chemistry call. Well, you'll spend 30 minutes with them talking through philosophy, style, background, insights, and a great coach will say, I don't know if we're a fit, let me refer you. And also, if you have that instant chemistry, that connection, that's a great time to lean in and say, it's worth the investment. Because so often times, you know, the definition of insanity, you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. If I hadn't stopped in that in and out parking lot and said, I'm going to do things differently, I might have still been in the same level at the same career without advancing. So we do need a good coach should disrupt your normal and they should help introduce new ways of thinking that puts you on a healthier trajectory. That's really what a great coach can do for you. And for our listeners thinking about looking for a coach, where can they find you again? I, you can check out my website at reagancannon.com. I have a free 30-minute call you can set up with me. We can talk through what your challenges are. If we're not a fit, then my goal will be to add as much value to you in that 30 minutes as possible. But it's a great opportunity for us to get connected. And I always like to close on a positive note. So I'd like you to take us to the end of our show by telling us what gives you the most hope for women in the workplace today and in the future and why should others share that same optimism? One of my favorite text messages I ever received was from my brother. And he said, Your, she, my niece Ella was about 10 years old at the time. And he said, Reagan, I just walked downstairs and found Ella playing business owner with her dolls. And she was the boss and she was telling them, you know, what we needed to do to run the business and she was playing business. Nothing made me prouder or happier that being a role model as her auntie, as her Aunt Reagan, was a way for her to see it's possible. And so I have a lot of optimism that the younger generation of women, that they can see that there are those of us that are breaking through into executive leadership. It can be done. There are women doing phenomenal things in senior leadership roles today that to change cultures, to change atmospheres, to make it a, a place where it, it makes men and women working together to make a great workplace. And so I'm excited to see that change happening and get to see it even in my own family. Reagan Cannon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. It was wonderful to be here. I'm Chris Meek. We're out of time. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.